0: The real, afterlife of the, of, the real afterlife of media and air uprisings, of course, is the maintenance of storage and technology. Uh, the sign of a really generous respondent is that they're willing to take your ideas on board enough to ask you to go further. Um, and um, Emma actually did uh, bump into me uh, recently. was like, okay, I thought, okay, yeah, 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 sure, all things you're saying, but like, give me something concrete that you're gonna analyze or talk about. And I didn't end up putting it in the main body of the talk because I was hoping we could. So
1: you owe me an example. Okay.
0: (laughs) I'm asking these questions because in many ways, like other events have since followed since the uprisings, which absolutely always already are co-opting the discourses that the Arab license, produce. For example, the idea of resistance is itself one that has deep roots as being co-opted by very powerful political parties, which are deeply reactionary in every sense of the term. And so the example that I'll point to, um, this is something that I I, I just finished uh, putting an article together about, is uh, populist claims made by Hezbollah in the era of uh, the Syrian war. And especially after the point where Hezbollah officially announced we are fighting on the side of the Assad regime, this is resistance. We are resisting the American uh, Zionist conspiracy. We are resisting the West, etc., etc. And so the so the the particular point where you can point, I can a specific thing where I can point to you here is so whenever uh, Hezbollah. uh, or specifically Nasrallah, their secretary general and spokesperson, uh, make announcements. It's like a big deal. They gather together a bunch of people. There's a live broadcast. Uh, It's then archived and translated and put into English online. So the event of the announcement is is a moment where you can see a mediatic architecture of the people being actively constructed. And Nasrallah claims speaking on behalf of the people in a way which is really crucial to understanding the afterlife of the Arab uprisings, in large part because of the way he orchestrates uh, a voicing of commonly felt frustrations and yoking them to the party's political uh, uh, background, speaking about a a people of the resistance. And the people of the resistance know that we have to confront enemies on all sides. The takfiris on the Western border, meaning between Lebanon and Syria, and the occupiers uh, to the south. Now, I have sometimes encountered similar things to what like, Ray is talking about. Anytime somebody starts to speak in this kind of language, one which deliberately plays on an anti-colonial uh, vernacular, people start to feel like they're resisting something. But what truly happens in this moment is it becomes possible to disagree politically, but not to dissent from a ruling Uh, uh, geopolitical order. It is only possible to pay fealty to one camp versus another. And all options are capitalism, destruction, ecological degradation, and so on. That's my answer.
1: So what can't we then challenge the use of this discourse of resistance, right? But by pointing out how how destructive it is, how it's not, you know, it's not resisting, you know, without kind of giving up on the idea that the people who leave, I don't know, their apartments in Beirut, voluntarily on the weekend and spend Sunday cleaning the beach—that's an act of resistance, not just Nasrallah's, you know, uh, monopolizing of the terms. I just don't see why I can't call those volunteers cleaning the beach. In, in, engage in an act of resistance and helping redefine the term. I, oh, mean,
0: I, I thought like cleaning the beach is way more of a traditionally activisty thing than when you were suggesting. I thought you were implying something like a politics of everyday life. Just like how people interact with each and other and, and live in the too. city is, itself can be yeah. an undoing of these. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. But maybe this is what Raeesh like, yeah. would like to chime in here. Um
2: Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Aman. I really appreciate these specific questions. So I want to try and respond to them specifically. Okay. Uh, and I, I want to make a few points and then illustrate them with an example. So the example is coming. Um, so you asked the question, does this only refer to the Arab Spring? And I meant to say it's in my scribble here, and I didn't get to it. And of course not. In fact, I think it's important to trace this uh, presentation of resistance. I think it, to me, it dates to the Palestinian Intifadas. Right? And there was probably a much more progressive initiative passed uh, I- um, in the initial kind of uh, sketches of, let's bring cultural production uh, as, as politics, right? Because you're countering a racism that only sees Arab politics as violence, right? Uh, and so, especially in the Palestinian context, I think there is a deliberate attempt to present Palestinian cultural producers to a non-Palestinian audience, right? Mm-hmm. To to you know, we teach life, sir, right? Mm-hmm. To, to to kind of um, bring that obviousness for Palestinians to the outside. So I think there's a there's a trajectory of how this develops, right? And it's been discussed many times, right? Like Halgathoil uh, certainly talks about that it might be problematic that we're always flaming, uh, framing Palestinian artists and their work as political, right? Because it forces them. To articulate a political voice when maybe that is not like not every piece of art in Palestine is about the occupation, right? Uh, and at the same time, every piece of art in Palestine is about the occupation, right? Because of means of production, etc. Uh, so. Um, so that's what I would say that there is definitely a, a history that is not dated to the Arab Spring and I think it is related to the Intifadas, right? Um, th- to what extent uh, is it new? So it's, uh, it's not like completely new, it's attached to this, and is it in need of new terms? Uh, that is a, a fine point uh, that I'm going to need to sit with for a second, but do we need another word to, to describe it? Um, But uh, why can't we talk about class directly, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the point for me is to talk about class directly, right? It is precisely to understand how neoliberal discourse, right? Exoticizes class, right? While removing the politics for discussing class struggle. And to me, it's important that, like, what I hold on to in Orientalism, right, because I've thought about this. How else can I talk about it if it's not Orientalism? What keeps me coming back to Orientalism is this exoticization of certain political subjects. It casts politics as somewhere not with me, right? The true, the authentic political agent is the Arab, or is the refugee camp, or is the stone thrower, or is the, and this is a, a, a process of distancing oneself, right, while expressing desire for proximity. And to me, this is what Orientalism is, and that's why I keep going back to Orientalism. Um, uh, da, da, da. And, and uh, the point here for me also is that it's not only Western discourses of resistance that need to be deconstructed and critiqued and maybe thrown out, right? You mentioned Sumud, right? And Sumud is a, a specific political discourse in the Palestinian context and in other uh, Arab contexts that many young people uh, are refusing, right? Enough, what are we waiting for, you know? Uh, and so the, the discourse of resistance, I'm identifying it as neoliberal in the, in the who pushes the discourse, right? Not West East, right? But power, right? And we know in the Palestinian case, right, that it was the authority that pushed the discourse of Sumud, right? That encouraged Sumud as the main political mode, right? To accept uh, uh, any number of political uh, decisions, including Oslo, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, 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 neoliberal Orientalism for me is really about unsettling this. To, to, to think about class, to think about class at home, right? To think about uh, who uh, controls discourse at home, right? Uh, and this is what neoliberal offers to me when I attach it to Orientalism, right? And uh, uh, sorry, you wanted an example. I'll just give you one example, right? In Ramallah there, a group, sorry Marwan. In Ramallah there, uh, <laughs> A group of rappers, right, uh, there was a group called the Ramallah Underground, maybe some of you have heard of them, uh, that came out in the Second Intifada, right? Uh, and they have since split up. Uh, but one of them, uh, of the Ramallah Underground, a rapper called Mukata or boycott, uh, has kind of taken on a mentoring role with another group of younger rappers, and they call themselves Minus One, Salaf right? And their work is very experimental, right? Uh, it's it's uh, full of sarcasm, right? It's full of like, like excruciating sarcasm, right? Uh, of for example, right? So the lyrics are talking about like, what are we like, uh, you know, pigeons waiting on the wire, right? like this, right? Um, uh, so I think it's very hard to talk about them as resistance, specifically because they are refusing this role. Right? So I am interested in the political strategies for uh, justice uh, in a number of different forms, right? But I have found it helpful, or necessary even, to say I'm not talking about resistance right now, in order that I can flag a whole number of discursive strategies that take us away from what I think are political debates that need to take place.
1: Okay, now that's good, that's helpful.
0: Marwan, would you like to uh, chime in again? I've, and then we'll open it up to everybody else.
3: So, first of all, I want to thank uh, our respondents for taking the time uh, to respond. Um, and again, I apologize that I, I wasn't able to make it there in person. But very quickly, so yes, the sort of global circulation of um, um, cultural production and artistic form from the Arab world, its translation, is nothing new. I do think, though, that what is new is a... Is a is, is, is a sort of a confluence of, of dynamics um, and this is something that I, you know, that I write um, quite a bit about in, in the Naked Blogger of Cairo. Between the sort of already a, 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 a gold rush around the Arab art that started before the Arab uprisings and one of the main engines is the very big um, acquisition budgets of Gulf museums. Uh, with the Arab uprisings, um, it, it, uh, Arab art, and I'm sticking to art, acquired a sort of mystique. Uh, it was seen as, you know, exotic, as blah blah blah. If you look at some artists, but um, their works fetched uh, um, between 2008 or 2007 and today, you uh, have some artists who were selling pieces for a couple of thousand dollars, who are now um, selling the same piece for a hundred thousand dollars. You have uh, people who. So what so, I'm trying to say, yes, it's not a percentage, but in terms of scale, um, in terms of the actual amounts involved, in terms of the actual circulation, I think it's different qualitatively, um, um, I mean quantitatively than what happened before. And I, I, and I want to give sort of also one specific example that illustrates, I think, the dilemma at the heart of this, which is why is it that some artists uh, achieve global fame, achieve renown, um, become sort of icons internationally and some others don't. Um, and, I, and, I, and the key example for me is Ala Awad. Ala Awad became famous during the Egyptian uprising um, for um, um, painting murals that that sort of draw on on um, sort of pharaonic iconography, right? And uh, one of the most interesting things about Ala is of all these people, he's the one who's an actually a bona fide painter. He's a, he's a trained artist, he teaches um, uh, painting at, at university. Uh, but the main obstacle uh, um, that prevented him from circulating, in addition to other issues, is the fact that he speaks only Arabic. He has no English. Uh, and I've talked to him um, about this at, at an event, at a panel where he was supposed to speak in Beirut um, years ago at the Beirut Art Center. And I was moderating the panel. And when he started speaking, he um, it's a, it's a little bit the reverse of what happened with describing Hassan Hassel, which is, you know, he starts speaking, and he uses uh, idioms that if you grew up in the Arab world, you would understand uh, about history, about things like set saloon, things like that, and you have an audience which is mixed um, sort of um, Arab um, and, and, and European and North American academics, intellectuals, and artists they started laughing at him. And I got caught in the middle because I was translating. So to me, you know, that that illustrated the sort of how fraught uh, this field is, right? Which is, yes, there's a lot of global um, circulation of, of Arab art, um, Arab cultural forms in general. Um, but at the same time, the way that they circulate is profoundly uh, unequal. And it's profoundly oblique and by different kinds of social and cultural and financial capital.
0: All right, it's a lot of us talking and not enough of everybody else talking, so I'm sure you have things you'd like to say, bombs you'd like to throw. Um, we can pass around a microphone or would people like to just shout it out? Yeah, so, I uh, guess the first question is gonna be from Professor Adams. Gosh, gotcha. So it's gonna be pr- pretty much for you, Professor Adam, although I don't mind if anyone else uh, kind of groups in on this, but uh, you kind of equated the uh, Arab revolutions or the Arab uprisings, to uh, maybe not a dead body yet. you know, the whole Monty Python skit. And kind of following that same bind, maybe it's not more of a dead body, more of a chivalent's head cut off. And it's starting to bleed on the carpet. So maybe a should put a boot on it and stop it from bleeding on you know, the other football shirt, Because the conflict's not spreading just or sticking just in those same countries. It's spreading out to Iraq and other places. And it's kind of blown out of portion, and a lot of people are getting involved that otherwise may not have. Been. Right now we're seeing the Kurdish question coming into for the forefront right again. And it's not looking good for the Kurds. So, I mean, how does this kind of relate into it? Is this part of the Arab uprisings? Is this something that we're going to continue to see happening in the rest of the Arab world? We're spreading to Turkey, into Iran. Where does it stop? So I guess for uh, any of you guys who want to answer the question. I think that the counter-revolution, as it got fully underway in Syria, definitely complicated things for uh, the question of Kurds, Kurdish liberation, Kurdish nationalism in related, vis-a-vis Syria and the border between Iraq and Syria. Um, I don't know uh, who would put their boot on the neck of the chicken running around with its head cut off. <laughs> um, I'm not sure who exactly would actually do that, um, but, I, but I could maybe answer it a different way. Like, are we projecting our own hopes onto something which is well and actually totally repressed. Are we, proje- are we projecting our hopes that, it is, that maybe it still has some life in it? Um, I don't know. That depends on your uh, whether or not you think utopia is kid stuff or the only possible politics or the range of things between. Um, I, I don't think they're dead. I think there are too many people for whom those images are still burningly powerful and imagine themselves to be actively involved with some kind of lineage, some kind of continuity, some kind of space which comes after. Okay. Maybe we could collect, no, yeah. we'll, one, 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 or did you want
2: No, I was just gonna say maybe we should collect. Let's collect. Let's collect. Three or four.
0: Yeah. Okay, no, two, how about two or three?
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't understand, do I understand? You're good. Um, just quickly for Amel, wasn't Sharif Hatata Noah Sadawi's translator? So what does that say about gender, about Egypt's part to the world? <laughs> um, just briefly, I don't need because you're not a man yeah. today. But um and um for Hatton, um all the questions are good questions, in case no one else <laughs> tells you that I think. Um, there we go. But you've also uh, it, for me reproblematized the whole notion of uprising since a lot of these uprising weren't uprising. And most of springs in history are failures. And I've been thinking you know, thinking lately about, about giving the Arab Springs spring free time to people, it's Prog Spring, Berber spring, you know, many springs. Maybe it's time to give the failed spring back its spring name with all the other failed springs that lead to revolutions afterwards, which is part of what you're talking about. Because there's another set of revolutions coming where this is just an opening act in my view. Um, and then Correa, um, and building on what Amel said, um, I, I think it's problematic or deterministic to overly do that to resistance in the sense that I mean, there's a, there's a resistance, there's an authentic, authenticity there that you recognize even if you take away the resistance category. And I think in the um, struggles generationally, socioeconomically um uh ideologically um there's a whole lot of um misframing misconnecting right with that uh, with those authentic voices and so part of our task is just to find those voices and correctly give them their due rather than stop on the misappropriation, commodification, whatever sort of things that happen to them, and say, OK, that's the crime that's been committed. And now we move on. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like a, it's another misframing to lose. Um, and just my last concluding point in that comment is um, hybridity itself is resistance. And that hybridity is often what's confusing for it, all, all the sets of onlookers who are looking at these. I, I look at and, it, and there's a lot missed. Um, so, so the hybridity itself is a form of resistance. Um, I just one quick example, if you permit me, the, 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 the general, the, the rapper who wrapped the anthem of the Arab Spring that was sung all the way to Bahrain, he turned to Islamic themes, which immediately then got edited out of the sort of coverage of rap in Tunisia as he moved in that direction. Uh, and there are lots of other examples, of particularly Islam, how Islam is handled in rap that violates. All kinds of different ideological viewpoints on rap that then gets edited out, misconstrued, misportrayed, and needs to be preserved to find that authentic, the set of authentic voices. Thank you.
1: I just quickly. Oh, I'm gonna forget the question. I gave you three. <laughs> <laughs> do,
0: do you want okay, to respond to the question?
5: Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask um, about. Uh, what all of you might see it as possibilities for integrating analysis of U.S. politics into the issues that you've all brought up. I mean, uh, Professor Kreid, you brought up a little bit in terms of, you know, the idea of of, of you know this uh, genuine, authentic uh, artist looking good on a, on a Brooklyn gallery or or a Philadelphia mural. Um, but you know, also just you know, it, the idea of fetishization of resistance. I mean, that's having a lot of resonance now in the U.S. in terms of uh, uh, you know uh, neoconservatives becoming part of the resistance to Trump. Or you know, um, there were some different types of connections before when we had Occupy and the, the uprisings early on. Um, we talked about co-optation, but I wanted to ask you know maybe maybe there's other ways of talking about. Uh, exploitation of, of cultural production, or uh, uh, of uh, creative uh, resources, um, and then and, and I just how, is, how can we think about these? How can we link the two uh, when we're talking about the afterlife of yeah, the spring? Uh,
0: really quick, I would, I would say we need to differentiate between uh, the, poli- the policies of the U.S. government and military adventurism in the Middle East. Uh, American cultural diplomacy and how it relates to funding these things and things like uh, the reactivation of the residences between the black radical tradition and Arab activism um, in the Arab world and Arab American activism which come into view in a different way or seem to uh, come into view in a different way in the wake of the Arab uprisings. That would be the quick way of of answering that. Do we want one more?
3: And
1: then we can...
4: Nothing
1: yet. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm just gonna respond uh, quickly to your question about Sadawi. Okay. Here, yeah. Okay. yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's, a, it's a rich topic. Uh, well, it is. I, I mean, uh, um, I did actually a, a very detailed case study of her reception in the U.S. So, uh, and in Britain. And uh, Hitata, her husband, then was the translator, and he's like her. I mean, I would say I think I use the word I, I was young, so I use the word complicity. Her complicity in the way she was uh, repackaged yeah. is it, because she's an agent and she's making and he's part of that complicity. Because yeah. she played along, she liked in a way the um, uh, repackaging of her as a lone voice in the wilderness for Arab feminism when she wasn't. I mean, she was a pioneer, but. Yeah a lot of wrong ones. So yeah, there is that individual, and I'm sure that's something that something comes up with those artists and who sell their works and who are circulating globally that they are also making decisions, and they are part of the uh, of the, the whole point. process. They're yeah. not just they're you know they're not commentors. I mean, they make decisions. So that's. answer. Yeah,
3: so. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so you know what I wanted to say. So first of all, I I, I steer away completely from the trope of authenticity because it's one of these rabbit holes. Once I go in, I don't know how to get out. And so uh, to, to me, what's interesting is is to
1: appreciate the sort of complexity that an artist or a, a,
3: a, an aspiring who suddenly, so imagine this, okay, you, you, you're an aspiring artist, you've been trying to break uh, uh, for a number of years. Uh, maybe, you know, if you're in Cairo, maybe you get some support um, um, uh, from government and private sources, um, and um, the revolution begins, and you feel very strongly about it, so you use your skill uh, to engage in, in political art. And then at some point, Uh, What happens, happens. There are shifts within the revolution, uh, and at some point, either your life is in danger or you're harassed, um, and you have an opportunity to to go elsewhere and practice your art again. Is that selling out? I don't think so. I think it's much more complicated than that, right? And we see it in the trajectories of of multiple artists. Uh, And so so this is what you know, so I don't think um, Gansir in Los Angeles writing um, um, graphic novels is less authentic of an artist than Gansir in Cairo spraying tanks and, and bicycles on a wall. Uh, I think it's a completely different kind except it's, 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 you know, there are uh, what in media industries people have called um, um, trajectories of creative migration, right? Where if you go elsewhere, it's because it's a better environment for you to practice your art. Now, of course, we have a broad Uh, and deeply seeking neoliberal ideology, where a lot of artists stop seeing themselves as representatives of their people, representatives of social movements, of political bodies, of political ideas, and feel they are free agents who can, at some point, engage in politics in one way, and at another point, engage in in, in, in the kind of artistic practice that's less overtly political, perhaps. Right. And so I, I don't. I'm not interested in passing judgment about authenticity and about co-optation, but I'm very interested in grappling with these complexities. And and really, the only way to find out is to follow some of these artists, um, talk to them at different intervals, uh, and see what kind of art they're producing, what kind of writing uh, um, they're doing. Um, And uh, from speaking with some of them, most of them see whatever it is that they're doing now as a continuation of the mission.
2: Um, So I would just follow up with the same uh, hesitancy about authenticity, right. So my uh, point is not to say, oh, the discourse is so lame, like, there's real resistance that you're not seeing, right. And then I lift the veil to show you the real, I'm not interested in that, right. I'm really trying to say, how else can we think about politics, right? How else can we think about the process of political engagement? How else can we think about the process of political change, right? And that means refuting that somebody is more authentic than someone else, right? Or some strategy is more authentic than some other strategy. Um, so I, that's what I would say about authenticity. Hybridity itself is a form of resistance. I, maybe that's a subject for another conversation. I don't know how that would work. Because like, you're, you're, you're transgressing the categories. Okay, so uh, t- I think it's Timothy Mitchell who's written about like hybridity as the new authentic, so the hybrid as the new authentic, which is... Similarly, exoticized, right? So the hybrid, like the diaspora, uh, as the as the new voice who can who can speak in between, right? Not like the the artist that uh, Marwan was talking about, who is uh, one kind of authentic of that street, right? But the exotic now is the hybrid voice who can speak both, right? Who can who can go in between. So that's what I would say about that. Uh, Islam and rap, yeah, there's a lot of it now, and uh, it can't be discussed in the same ways, right? Because it makes liberals. Uh, anxious, right? <laughs> and anxiety, I think, comes us back comes back to here. So I don't use the word co-optation actually because it's it signals to me like a deadness, a doneness, right? And, and what I try to think about is how neoliberal orientalism or whatever it is, maybe I should call it something else, right? Attempts to tame emergent politics, right? It attempts to put it in a frame, right? And I think we can see it really trying to put it in a frame that I, c- that I can understand and feel safe about, right? And I think this points to a real anxiety, not just in the West or the US, right? But uh, in the middle class, maybe or upper middle class, the neoliberal class, right, Uh, or elite, right, about about these political changes, right, and they are not just in the Arab world or the Middle East or the MENA, but they are here, obviously too, right. And the way that these representational schemas operate uh, work because they work on like (laughs) imaginations in lots of places, and they touch on these anxieties, right. So that's what I would say uh, in terms of that U.S. <clears throat> okay. <laughs>